This little light of mine. Welcome to This Little Light of Mine, the podcast where we explore what happens when you teach a child that they are not allowed to love. Here's your host, James Powell. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of This Little Light of Mine. My name is James Powell and I'm glad that you're able to join me for today's episode, Seeds of Shame. If you've been following me on Instagram or Facebook at My Light Shines Bright, you will already know that I'm sharing some pretty deep and important inner child work that has been a game changer for my recovery journey. Over the past couple of weeks, it's been great to connect with so many of you from all around the world. Pulami from Lit Wings in India, Mark aka Not Defining in the UK, Sway from Polite But Savage podcast coming out of Dubai, Harvey from New Zealand, Michael from New York, and so many others who are blowing me away with your sharing, encouragement, and insights as we discover, heal, and grow forward in love together. I also want to give another big shout out to Kathy Weber from episode 8, The Gift of Pain. I received so much positive feedback about Kathy's authenticity, clarity, and passion for healing forward in recovery. If you haven't had the chance to hear Kathy's story, I encourage you to subscribe to This Little Light of Mine so that you can download episode 8 and be the first to get our new episodes as they release every two weeks. I also want to encourage you to listen all the way to the end of today's episode for an exciting new contest to win a free copy of one of my new favorite books. Now in today's episode, I'm going to take you way back to some of my earliest memories from a preschool Jimmy. Yep. I was Jimmy back then. As I do my own inner child work and travel back to ages 3, 4, 5, and 6, I can clearly see the imprint of early trauma and can almost pinpoint where toxic shame entered my life as a young boy. What I've learned in recovery is that trauma comes from the inhibition of emotion and the earlier in life that you start to block or suppress your emotions, the deeper that damage can be. As you'll hear in today's episode, when it came to learning about shame, my visceral brain was so quick to learn and remember. In an instant, I locked in shame and created an imprint that dominated my future. Now once this type of shame-based imprint has been set, ongoing painful experiences that reinforce that original imprint continue to lay down new pathways in your brain as you become more and more sensitive to painful stimuli as you progress through life. And as I look back at my life experience, I can see how true this is. Now in the most basic terms, here's what I'm talking about. Once shame sets in, it grows and grows until you go back and address things from where they began. And this is the premise of inner child work. This is also why when it comes to trauma, it's important that we take the time to go back to the source of pain and lovingly ask powerful questions like, what happened to me? And process that trauma. We need to stop running from our trauma. We need to stop having our experiences silenced. And we need to stop numbing our painful feelings. We need to process our trauma, feel our feelings, and move through them. And with that, here's today's episode, Seeds of Shame. From as far back as I can remember, I've always felt different. As a preschooler, I was always the outsider looking in and trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Why didn't I fit in with the other kids? I was afraid of everything. Everything seemed dangerous, bad, and out to get me. 
Now, maybe these are feelings that everyone feels, but I always felt like I was alone, looking over my shoulder and waiting for something to jump out and attack me. My mom will tell the story that I was different from my brother and sister. As a toddler, whenever I would bump my head or fall over, instead of running into the loving arms of my parents, I would bolt in the opposite direction and attempt to soothe myself. Even at an extremely young age, there was something coded into my being that told me, you need to look out for yourself and don't let anyone see your pain. I grew up as the oldest of three children in an extremely religious and loving family. My brother and sister got along and seemed to develop a relationship with each other, but I was always separate, angry, and seemed to exist inside my own little world of one. It felt like I was always getting in trouble for something at home, and the words, wait until your father gets home, were not used lightly, and nor were the belt or the wooden spoon when it came to me. I learned very early on that my voice or opinion carried absolutely no weight within my family. My father was the head of our household. He made the final decision, and that was that. One of my first attempts to use my voice was when I was around five. My dad loves playing hockey, and he's played throughout most of his life. And at 70, he still plays regularly. But instead of at an arena, his weekly matchups are with my youngest nieces and nephews in the basement rec room at my parents' house. Growing up, my dad would share his memories about how he would have to take his massive hockey bag full of equipment on the bus and head off to hockey practices and games all by himself. His mom had to stay home with his new baby brother and his dad always had to work. My dad recalls wanting nothing more than to have his dad to be there proudly cheering him on in the stands. And my dad, in return, wanted to provide me with that love, the time and the experience that he never received from his father. So like many Canadian boys, and yes, back in the early 80s, it was just boys, he enrolled me in an ice hockey league, bought me brand new skates, all the equipment, and got up every single Saturday morning so that he could come and watch me play. My dad gave me everything he wanted from his dad, growing up. The trouble with this loving scenario was I hated absolutely every minute of it. I was that kid at the opposite end of the rink from where the puck was, spinning around, twirling in circles while searching the stands for my parents. When I finally spotted them, I would attempt to skate over, and I use the term skate very lightly while sobbing about how my head hurt from the helmet and how cold my feet were. I was miserable. And as I stood there crying, I could sense that I was an embarrassment and a disappointment to my dad. And inside, I knew that he wanted me to be like the other kids. On the way home from hockey, I would beg my dad to never go back. But week after week, the same scenario would play out and the same result would happen and I'd eventually start to get punished for continuing to cry. Another regular fight we would have at a young age was over the finish all the food on your plate rule. Now I've talked about this before, but for some odd reason, I've always had an aversion to the texture of potato in my mouth, and I still do. 
But night after night, I would have to sit at the table for hours and then move to sit at a TV tray in the laundry room where I would still not eat my potatoes. And eventually, my parents would get sick and tired of waiting for me to finish my food. I would get hit and sent to bed. Now, these are two really small examples among many where I would attempt to reason with my parents. I would try to use my voice, but there wasn't any room for reason in our home. I learned at a very young age that using my voice was met with anger, resistance, and discipline. We learned that children were to obey their parents, no questions asked. In year after year of not being heard, I learned to eventually swallow my voice and then eventually stopped voicing any of my needs. I swallowed my voice because what was the point? And I was afraid. I was afraid of getting hit. And I was afraid of the explosive anger. But looking back at pictures of myself at this young age, I can also recall a deeper pain. I yearned to be that kid that my parents wanted me to be. I desperately wanted to fit in to connect, and to feel like I belonged. But I didn't. I felt like an outsider while at home with my family, and I felt like an outsider when I left the home. I wasn't like any of the other boys at school or at church. I never had any real interest in sports, roughhousing, trading baseball cards, video games, or skateboarding. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I just knew that I was an other. I didn't fit in. My deep loneliness, feelings of separation, and unconscious emotional neglect started pre-kindergarten. I remember vivid daydreaming fantasies that I would have at this young age. I would go inside and pretend that my real parents were a king and queen from a far-off land. I would pretend that they had sent me away so that I would learn to grow up with normal parents, so that I wouldn't be spoiled. But one day soon, they would be showing up to welcome me back to my real life. Some other life where I really did belong. And as I remember this fantasy, I wonder now how many other queer children have these the sun will come out Annie fantasies. But there was something in my real world that made me feel like I did belong. It was playing games like Doctor or Truth or Dare with other kids my age. It made me feel like I was connecting with them. From an extremely young age, it was these sexualized moments of play where I would finally have some sense that maybe, maybe I just might belong. Sort of. I still have no memory or knowledge of how a kid at age four knows how to play these games, but I've always been this way. One night, when my father was traveling for work and my mom was giving me a bath before bed, she started to talk to me about one of the games that I was playing with the other neighborhood kids. She didn't get angry, but she made it very clear that these were not games that I was ever to play. And that's all it took. As a boy around four or five, I knew and had it confirmed that some part of me was shameful, was wrong, 
and that I had to do everything in my power not to ever, ever let anyone see that part of me ever again. A year or so later, I was in grade one, and as grade ones do, coming back from recess, I desperately needed to pee. So I put my hand up, and I asked if I could be excused to go to the washroom, and was told by the teacher, you don't really need to go, you just got back in from recess, put your hand down. I put my hand down, and raged with anger that eventually turned to embarrassment as I felt my bladder release a pool of warm urine that drenched my track pants and made a puddle on the floor under my desk. Desperate not to get in trouble, I searched my surroundings. I found some scrap construction paper and tried to sop up my mess. But I guess I wasn't as discreet as I hoped to be, because over my shoulder I heard, You dirty little boy, what have you done? And what could I say? I couldn't argue with my elders. I was humiliated and I was sent to the office. I arrived at the office at school and was welcomed by some compassion by the school secretary. She told me to wait while she went to get some dry clothes that I could wear home. She came back with a pair of track pants and a pair of girls underwear. She explained that I could wear them home, but that they had to be washed and brought back tomorrow. She handed them to me and told me to go to the bathroom to get changed. I can still feel that state of panic that I had that day. How did she know my secret? How did she know that I was different? Why did she give me the girls' underwear? How am I going to explain this to my mom? Everyone's going to laugh at me. Everyone's going to know that I don't belong. Everyone's going to know that part of me is a girl. Everyone's going to know that I really am bad. At six, I was terrified that the school secretary had consciously given me a pair of girls' underwear because she had somehow known about the strange feelings of being different that I had. I was also convinced that my mom would discover my secret and that I would be punished severely for being someone who wasn't normal and who had to wear girls' underwear. It sounds ridiculous now, but I was terrified. I slowly dragged my feet home for lunch that day and was further mortified to realize that my cousins were also joining us that day for lunch. I took my mother aside and told her what had happened. She helped me get changed again and then put everything into the laundry. But then something weird happened. We never spoke of that situation again. She never brought up the girl's underwear. And even though I took that clean underwear and pair of track pants back to school the next day, I lived in ongoing fear that that conversation would be coming back to the surface for weeks and weeks. Over these early years, I was able to find a few trusted boyfriends. Well, not boyfriends, like friends like little kids that are boys, who were like me. We played some of the same discovery games together. Those sexualized games. 
And in those rare moments, those small moments, I felt like I was seen. I felt normal. Part of me felt good. Even though I always knew what I was doing was really, really bad. What's going through your head after listening to today's episode? When you go back and think about your childhood, do you share any similar memories? Was there a time where you remember noticing that you felt different than the others? Was that uniqueness or difference that you noticed celebrated, encouraged, and loved? Or are some of those memories of being different filled with shame, self-doubt, and fear? If you're willing, I'd encourage you to spend some time with those memories. Maybe find a blank piece of paper, a journal, or even the notes section on your phone and start to jot down some of the memories and feelings that come up. In my personal experience, I found that I used to run as far away as I could from this type of exercise, but I'm now learning that this is the type of work that paves the way towards understanding myself, loving myself, and doing some of the healing, reparenting work that I need. I'd also like to encourage you to find someone that you trust, a close friend, a family member, a therapist, or a coach, and to start slowly opening up about some of these thoughts, feelings, and experiences. I believe that we grow stronger and we heal through the sharing of our personal stories. It is so important for each of us to build our own support team. So never be shy to ask for help. And remember that help can be provided from some of the most unsuspecting places. It's not your job to figure out who will help or what that help will be, but it is your job to advocate for yourself and to ask for that help. One of my favorite quotes from Maya Angelou is, I learned a long time ago that the wisest thing I can do is be on my own side, be an advocate for myself and others like me. So what about you? Are you advocating for yourself? Are you on your own side at home with your friends and family? And what about at work? What I've learned in the last year is that when I asked for help, it was and continues to be provided from all over the place, including places that I never even thought it would come from. And what I'm learning right now is that as I get stronger and start advocating for myself from a place of love, that I'm actually able to help others on their healing journey too. And that feels really good. Thank you so much for joining with us today. And I look forward to connecting with you in two weeks time where I'll be speaking with Matthias Roberts, host of Queerology, which was named one of the top 12 LGBTQ podcasts by Oprah's magazine, O. Matthias is a psychologist and author, and he'll be sharing some of his personal experiences with shame and insights from his new book, Beyond Shame, creating a healthy sex life on your own terms. I'm really excited to share Matthias's work, and I want to give away a free copy of his book, Beyond Shame, to a listener of this little light of mine. For your chance to win, all you need to do is subscribe, rate, and leave a review of this little light of mine on Apple Podcasts. Next episode, I will choose one of those reviews and send you your very own copy of Beyond Shame. Thank you again for being with us today. And before I go, I want to remind you, your story is important.
You were designed with a powerful voice. We need to hear what you have to say. You matter. You are needed. You are wanted. And you are loved. Thanks for being here today. To learn more about our guests today and for links from our show, visit www.thislittlelightofmine.ca. If you enjoyed this episode or feel that it could bring love and acceptance into someone else's life, please like, rate, review, and share so that we can build our community and bring more love into the world for all people. Thank you for sharing your time and listening to our stories today. And we would love to hear your story too. Visit the Get Involved section of thislittlelightofmine.ca to share your voice. We love being in community with you and look forward to sharing more with you next time. Now go and let your light shine bright because you are loved. <laughs>